everybody, and welcome to the Fortress of Comic News, episode 258. I am one of your hosts, Chris, alongside my Ahoy-loving co-host, Mike. Hey, it's uh, two Ahoy weeks in a row, Chris. I get to wear the shirt twice, and are you going to ask me if I washed it? It's going to be, uh, you have to join our Patreon and find out. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to remain a mystery. Uh, and if you join the patreon you're the top tier subscriber you actually get this shirt that i wore for these two weeks no i'm just kidding um i was gonna say i'm gonna start a patreon level that's like mike's used shirts <laughs> uh yeah we we would uh lose we would lose listeners very rapidly <laughs> like i don't know <laughs> I, no offense to you but like you know those really creepy like I don't are they VTubers or whatever they're mm-hmm. called? Yeah, they sell but bath they do water. like the Yeah, and you know, other clothing items. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we'd be that successful. No, I don't think so. Um we'd still be where we are with less subscribers. Um <laughs> today on the show, we do have an interview and it's with uh an Ahoy Comics writer, uh first time Ahoy Comics writer, Alyssa Quitney will be on the show, everybody. We're gonna talk about guilt number one. Uh, talked about it a little last week with Tom Pear. Now we have the writer on the show. So I'm going to break it down. Comes out in a couple weeks. Um, looking forward to that. Yeah. Old uh, ladies time traveling. What can go wrong? I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm interested to talk to her about that. Like, you know, where the time travel part of it came from. But um, nothing, nothing too crazy this week. Did I watch anything? Finishing up The Righteous Gemstones Season 2 uh was crazier than season one um i don't know if you've watched that on hbo yet but it's it's pretty hilarious yeah so it's it's uh um oh man it has a huge list of famous actors uh the second season so it's about the righteous gemstones are like they make fun of like those evangelical christians with the giant churches the mega churches okay and so the, the, there's the father and then like the three kids and um Danny McBride is one of the kids and I think he helps write the show. <laughs> yeah, so he's like the oldest kid. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh the father, oh my god, I cannot I cannot believe I'm gonna mess up the name right now. I can't think of the name. Uh you can help me out here with um the big Lebowski, but not not the dude. Um and he was also oh, uh... Good, Jesus. John Goodman. John Goodman. John Goodman. Yeah. Yeah. So he plays the father, uh, and then there's another a bunch of characters that pop up. Like the second season, um, he his the John Goodman's brother is another famous actor you've seen before, um, but he like leaves his son early, like in his life, and then comes back to meet him, and it's like randomly Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if that was because like he left his son alone and never came home. Like that was the that was the joke there. But dude, it's it like plays on the whole you know we need money, more money, and that's how we worship God thing. And then each of the each of the children are like trying to win over the business and like run the family business, which is the church, and it's it's like them bickering with each other. And also the second season, you find out John Goodman has a past. He's he's fantastic in it. That guy is so good. Um, I highly recommend it. It's hilarious. So I watched uh, the 1990s classic cinematic masterpiece, Captain America, this week. No, you didn't. Uh, I did. Oh, man. It's not the first time either. Uh, 
I'm doing uh, a podcast on it with uh, some friends. So, mm-hmm. I mean, when that comes out, I'll let you all know. But that movie is more exquisite than I remember it being. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, dude. So, in the the first act is just the origin. So, it's like he gets the super soldier serum, then becomes mm-hmm. Captain America, and then he goes out and fights Red Skull. And the Red Skull costume is just so bad. <laughs> rubber rubber costume. Yeah. Um, and then the second act, they he is in the present. You know, he's frozen and gets back. And we find out that the Red Skull... Oh, by the way, the Nazis are all Italian. Um, <laughs> Amazing. We find out that the Red Skull is uh, actually like... So first of all... <laughs> The background of this movie is really weird because, like, there's this moment where you meet this little kid in the beginning mm-hmm. and Cap saves him. And that kid becomes the president when Cap is unfrozen. And, <laughs> okay. and that guy's best friend is Alex Jones, who believes, like, all these weird conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. except he's correct about all of them. Oh. And <laughs> because one was like, Captain America was a thing. And, uh, yeah, it's so fucking weird. But anyways, another one is that the Red Skull is still alive, and he actually is a globalist that controls everything, along with the head of the United States military and a bunch of other corporations. Mm-hmm. So that's why I make the Alex Jones comparison. Um, <laughs> but the Red Skull has decided that he's still going to wear his... They still put the rubber mask on him, mm-hmm. but they put like makeup on it so he has skin. It's fucking oh. weird. And then they, but somehow the Red Skull now has hair in the future and they oh, slick no. it back. Oh, no. <laughs> so you know he's a businessman. Oh, yeah. So, now he's, yeah. so good. And oh, then, God. in uh, when, as I'm watching it too, I'm just thinking, like, this was Marvel's, like, answer to Batman. Yeah. Because Batman came out in 89. So I'm like, yeah. this is what Marvel said. Like, I see what you're doing there, Tim Burton. This is how we do it better. It just didn't. So, they yeah. Just, yeah, the problem was they didn't have Tim Burton. <laughs> it's, oh, it dude, it's it's so it's so it's one of those movies. that's so bad, it's good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But so I watched that. Um, I watched the boys diabolical. Did you get a chance to watch that? I have not watched that yet, but I I'll get around to it. So I'll say this: the the sh- it's you can watch it one sitting. It's like mm-hmm. they're shorts. They're not actual episodes. Oh, okay. Um, which I must have misunderstood, but mm-hmm. first episode is really good. It's the the baby with the laser eyes, and it's yep. just a a Looney Tunes episode, just with mm-hmm. way more gore. Okay. Uh, the second episode is uh, uh, the Rick and Morty guys. Okay. And each each episode is a different um, style too. So mm-hmm. like the second episode looks like an episode of Rick and Morty, cool. and what it is is it's all like the reject superheroes. So like one of them has. <laughs> One of them's boob face. Okay. And he literally has two boobs for a face. The other one, his superpower is that his scrotum is super hot and he can burn through anything with it. Like, like a lightsaber? Shit like this. Yeah. <laughs> and then obviously uh, he pulls out the, the Morty voice at some point and does a yeah. character. Okay. Um, and then it kind of gets consistently worse, in my opinion, because they take away... Like, the first two are really fun and, like, goofy. Mm-hmm. And then they try to get serious with them. Mm-hmm. And I was just no. kind of like, uh, this isn't what I want out of the boys. Yeah. Like, they're not bad, but they're just not what I wanted. 
Right, right. Until the last episode, which is all about Homelander and basically him becoming a part of the Seven and his first kind of buddy moment with uh, Black Noir. Mm. So I watched that too. Uh, all in all, not bad. You can watch it in one sitting, like I said. Yeah, I'll have to check. I keep forgetting that it even came out. Like, and I've been on Amazon too. You think they would like be posting it like, hey, you should watch this. And I don't think I've seen it. Like, I had to go look for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. It's weird. Um, and then I discovered a new passion in life this week. What's that? What did you discover? Um, the PFL. Okay. This is the Pillow Fighting League. Oh. It's uh, like Sock so and I'm, Boppers, but more serious. Do you remember Sock and I'm, Boppers? Yes, I'm planning on quitting my day job and just training. <laughs> okay. No, but this is a thing, and it really, like, so one of the guys actually in it, like, dresses up like the Joker and goes no. out and fights people. <laughs> Wait, yeah. so is this, like, are they, like, they get together for events like wrestling, or are they just, like, pillow fighting people oh, on the street? No, this is, like, dude, they're, it looks like uh, UFC, except it's in, like, a wrestling ring, not an octagon. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, like, I went on their website. You can get, like, uh, pillow fighting league pillows. Oh, my God. And, like athletic gear and stuff like it's legit how do you win a <laughs> pillow fight like you actually knock the person out with it or i didn't get that far i was just watching clips like just amazed that this was a thing that existed and oh, they just man. signed like a big like tv contract too which makes it even better oh my god <laughs> i mean it sounds like something you'd see on the ocho so it doesn't really surprise me i mean we're at that we're at that yeah. point you can there's professional corn was it cornball or cornhole cornhole, cornhole. Yeah, cornhole. cornhole yeah yeah like yeah, the that, ocho that, exists it's the a thing. backyard the backyard drinking game is a is a professional though <laughs> it's wild man um yeah I, i'm just terrible at all those things but if you have uh, some free time check out the pillow fighting league it's i just pretty can't exceptional. believe it's like how do you tell some of that seriously like oh what do you do all on pfl it's like a pillow fighting league. It's like you're joking, right? How do you how do you get how do you get anybody to support you in that like dude? So one of the clips I watch it's right on their website too. Like there's an eight minute video of just like clips from different fights. And one of them was the the guy that dresses up like the Joker. Mm-hmm. He ends up knocking the pillow out of the other guy's hand and then he just starts wailing him with the pillow and the guy gets so pissed and it turns into like you know, in like football or any sport where like you tell when a guy really gets mad and they start mm-hmm. to like get in each other's face and swing. Yeah. yeah. Like that happened. I'm just like, this is pillow fighting guys. What's going on? Yeah. yeah you can't be mad that you're going to get hit with a pillow. <laughs> you can't be using piss. That defeats the whole purpose. Oh my God. I, I, I lost about two hours of my life to this. Are, are the people that are doing it physically fit? <laughs> Mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like the, I wish I knew his actual name, but the Joker guy like looks like he could be in the UFC. He looks okay. like he failed to be in the UFC and was like, "Fuck <laughs> it, I'll just use a pillow instead." Yeah, had too many concussions. Now he's like, "I just need to get hit with a pillow." Yeah, they're like, but then the the yeah. referee who's like breaking up the fights and everything, he looks uh-huh. like me except bald and like a little bit shorter. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. You know, you know, I, I bet this started like one of these guys is a UFC fighter, and his doctor was like, "Listen." You have too many concussions. You can't. You can't go out there and fight. And he's like, "No, I could do it, Doc." He's like, 
the only way you can get back in the ring is if you guys are using pillows because there's no way you could not take another shot to the face and survive. And he's like, that's a great idea. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Pillow fighting league. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyways. So I've, I've had a eventful week. Yeah. I mean, holy crap. That's awesome. I did. I went and saw um, a live show, actually, which is kind of strange. I haven't done that in a while. Um, Proctor's Theater is near us. That does a lot of Broadway shows. Well, it's it's like the first stop after Broadway shows leave New York City is Proctor's in Schenectady, mm-hmm. New York. I went and saw Dear Evan Hansen. Um, these were tickets I bought uh, for uh, my girlfriend for Christmas. And it's not a show that I was like looking to... Uh, looking out of my own to go to, but I heard it was good. Uh, the music was really good. So I don't know if you know the premise of it. It's very depressing. It's depressing, but it's like, I, it, I you can't say it's funny because it's, it's a story about suicide, but the, there's a lot of funny interactions between people because there's like a lot of awkward moments because the, the main character is very awkward. Uh, he's going to therapy he's writing these stories to himself saying, dear Evan Hansen, you know, every day to like, to, you know, get himself out and like, cause he, he's very introverted. Um, so while he's writing these letters, this kid who's like seen as like a, a tough guy at school, um, picks one of his letters up and brings it home and he actually commits suicide and all his parents find on him when he's, when he's, you know, after they find him is this note that says, dear Evan Hansen. And it's like a motivational note for the kid to himself, but everybody thinks that Evan Hansen is this guy's best friend. So this kid decides to start a whole lie that they were best friends and, and like, you know, digs himself into and starts this huge like social media campaign, but like, every, and he becomes like popular from it. And then it's like the whole fallout from that because he's like, there's other side stories of like, he's in love with the guy's sister that committed suicide and stuff like that. And he's always been in love with her. I mean, but it's, it's interesting. Like, I mean, obviously it's about suicide awareness. Um, the music is fantastic. I think there's a movie out right now. Um, I've heard the movie isn't as great as the musical, but it's, I mean, it still gives you the story. I think it's on HBO right now, but it, I recommend it. I, I was laughing quite a bit through it. Uh, obviously there's a lot of very sad moments. So bring your tissues. Um, but overall, I mean, I just like live shows like that. So is it like dark humor or is it like trying to lighten the mood humor? I wouldn't. I, I Okay. So the, there's very serious moments, but the humor is like, um, so he gets his, like, he gets his family friend to write. He has to, he has to orchestrate emails between him and, and and this kid that committed suicide to make it look like they're friends and mm-hmm. and he was like talking to his friend about it. he's like yeah i talked to his parents and i said that we emailed each other on a private email and he's like oh they they definitely think you're gay <laughs> like, because the way he's describing okay. it's like yeah he's like we were good friends and he's like okay let me type these emails out for you and he's like and he's like he starts one of the emails with he's like I, I rub my nipples when i think about you and all this stuff and it's like that type of humor you know it's like it's like so trying between, to lighten the mood. Yeah. It's trying to lighten the yeah. mood between like the high school yeah. students. So um, yeah, overall it's, it's pretty fantastic. The music was, the music was really good. Uh, yeah. Cause I, I, in my head, I'm uh, thinking of the movie. You ever seen funny people? I don't think so. No, it's uh Seth Rogen and um, Adam Sandler. Mm-hmm. And they play, they play comedians trying to make it and everything. And it's, mm-hmm. It's not about suicide, but it's a lot about depression and mm-hmm. like 
that kind of shit, which yep. I can connect. Obviously, I can connect with. But there's a lot of dark humor throughout it, like oh, joking okay. about. That, yeah. And like, I also enjoy that stuff too. So right. that's where I was, I was trying to make the figure out where it was going with it because, mm-hmm. yeah, suicide's a serious thing. But there's oh, yeah. it, it, somebody smarter than me could make a dark humor comedy about. Oh yeah, it. for sure. Yeah. So that's what I was wondering. And yeah. I mean, while doing so, it, it's almost a, it's almost your. Uh, responsibility to put out the um to put out the all the things there for suicide awareness and helplines and all that stuff so overall really good it's almost a story about like not you know not being alone in high school you know i think we've all been there so um overall great story so check out the movie if you want i think it's on hbo but uh the music i i really enjoy the music so but yeah uh we do have a little bit of news i guess um uh, according to Deadline Hollywood article, Marvel is moving forward with Richard Rider slash Nova project. So we're going to get something involving Nova. Uh, this project is written by Moon Knight writer Sabir Prasada, and it's unknown whether it's going to be a Disney Plus series or a feature film. I have to assume it's going to be a Disney series. Yeah. For Richard Rider, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Richard Ryder's tough. I know he has his fans, and I enjoy when he pops up in things. Right. But that'd be a tough feature film. Especially, it's going to be interesting how they weave that in, because they kind of made the Nova Corps almost a joke mm-hmm. in the yeah. MCU. So, I'll be interested to see how they do that. But Yeah, it's I'm true. They really, yeah, they really are kind of comical. I didn't think about that in the movies. Um, they're supposed to to be like green lanterns in the comics, right? Basically. I mean, they're in as much as they're space cops. Right. Uh, but they didn't give them the superpower, which is any, so that's like the connection is they're, they're space cops and then they get the helmet instead of a ring Mm -hmm. and they get that superpower and none of the Nova Corps had like any kind of superpowers. So Mm. I don't know. I'm sure somebody smarter than me is going to figure it out, but we need <laughs> yeah. to see how they do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, some movie news: Marvel or uh, Warner Brothers, not Marvel, released a deleted scene from the Batman featuring Barry Kugins, Q- uh, Kugins, Joker. Did you watch this? I haven't watched it yet. I did. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the Heath Ledger scene where mm-hmm. uh, they're in the the precinct together. Yep. So it's Joker's behind glass and um, Sparkly Bats gives him like a basically a, a folder of all the Riddler's crimes mm-hmm. and they have a back and forth and uh, you can tell that they've known each other for a while at this point mm-hmm. and it's just Batman trying to get like information like trying to get inside the head of a serial killer kind of yep. moment. I didn't mind it. It wasn't like groundbreaking. Right. Um, it was kind of expected. I thought they overdid it in the prosthetics because it's like his face is all like bubbled up wow. and like scarred. Mm-hmm. And then his hair too. Like there's moments where, cause you don't see like a full on picture of him. He's kind of right. shaded and in yeah. darkness a little bit, but you can tell like something's wrong. Like his hair is all clumpy and mm-hmm. there's bald spots everywhere. But then when you see it from one angle and it's almost head on, it's like perfect. It's green. It's got like kind of the, the raggediness yeah. to it. And mm-hmm. 
So there's good and bad to it. Um, yeah, so it has to be the conversation that Matt Reeves was talking about. Like, that was what they took out of the movie to kind of sh- show people that, like, Joker won't be the villain in the next movie, that he's already had his history with him kind of moment. Like, they've already, that was his year one, was, like, putting Joker in jail. Yeah, I mean, it's easily fixed for a second movie, but... Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but I hope not. I'm glad it wasn't in the movie. I'll say yeah. that. It added nothing. Mm-hmm. Other than just the idea that like he's been around and that he already had an adventure with Joker. Right, right. Okay. Um, Alright, let's hop to this interview with uh, Alyssa Quitney. And we will see everybody on the other side. All right, everybody. We got another very special guest for you all this week. I want everybody to welcome to the show, Elisa Quitney. Welcome, Perfect. Elisa. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was definitely <laughs> right. the first try. Yeah, first try, nailed it. These, yeah, these are the reasons we don't do a live show on like Twitch or something. We can go back and edit all the good stuff. Um, Elisa, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, very excited to talk to you about um, guilt coming out in a week. Yeah, a week from this show. Um, but all our first time guests have to go through the torture of doing an origin story for us. So, um, give us the, I know you've written some novels and stuff like that, but you know, where did it all start for comics for you? Um, where you, you know, you can, you want to talk about the important stuff, like piddly little books. Let's talk about the comics. Um, so I, I was a comic read comics reader from, you know, childhood. So I'm ancient enough so that, you know, the, the local candy store, the local, local stationery store had comics. And, you know, when the new ones came out, you would just buy as many as you could. And I bought them in like descending order of what I wanted. So, you know, first came horror and then, you know, probably Archie's sometimes weirdly enough, I liked romance. Um, And then there were some superhero comics I liked. And then if there were one of those weird short-lived feminist superheroes, they would go straight to the top, even besting the horror for a while. Okay, wow. So um, anyway, and I, everyone I knew read comics. It was just what you did in the 70s as a kid. And I guess I didn't stop. My mom never made me throw out all my comics. And after a while, I, I... you know, the comics stopped being sold. And I think finally someone said, yeah, you need to go to a comic book store. And I said, <laughs> oh, okay, where's oh, a wow. comic book store? Yeah. So I, we, I, you know, started going into comic book stores. And I remember some kid looking at me, I was probably about 17. And he like, I saw him tug his friend, like, there's a, there's a girl. Um, <laughs> it's always a rare sighting, right? <laughs> I'm I'm also really oblivious. And this was yeah. back in the days when I think comic book stores were, you know, not necessarily uh, welcoming. I remember hearing a lot of women talk about memories of feeling excluded. Oh, I yeah. was just oblivious. I was mm-hmm. like, where are your horror comics? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How come you don't have any more Shana the She-Devil? What's wrong um, with you? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that... That was how I started with comics, and um, I, I got introduced to the Uncanny X-Men when I was in college. I was an English major, and I would go to this uh, secondhand bookstore to get uh, romance and comics. And uh, so I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just didn't really stop 
reading them, but I wasn't really clear on how they were made. And uh, I, I was, it was many years later, I was finishing Columbia's uh, fiction writing program. And I thought, you know, I'm probably going to need to get a job after this. <laughs> yep, that might and be important. All the normal people uh, were getting, uh, they were going to the literary, you know, big five publishing uh, houses. And I, I thought about doing that. But I also thought I'd throw my hat in the ring for uh, romance editing and comics editing. So I, I sent Silhouette. Uh, was in New York City. And so at that time, we're both DC and Marvel. So I sent out my resume and uh, DC got back to me. Marvel ghosted me. And uh, Silhouette got back to me too. They told me I was overqualified. Wow. Um, yeah. But but uh, DC said, no, no, overqualified yeah. the way we like them. Yep. And, um, and in a way, I guess I was probably underqualified, but I, I learned so much at DC. Mm -hmm. After I'd been working at DC for about six months, I did get a job offer from Silhouette, but that's it. My my die was cast. Mm -hmm. And how long were you editing there? Uh, seven years on staff. And I, I left because I really wanted to write and I'd also hatched some younglings. And so I, I couldn't handle all three of those things, but I continued to work um, with DC and with Vertigo, I did Sandman, the King of Dreams yep. and, uh, Vertigo Visions. I did, uh, you know, I also wrote some, some comics. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. Um, and I mean, the books that you saw in that timeline where you're editing too, I mean, that's, that's a lot of stuff happening at that time too. So I'm sure that was a great experience. It was, it was intellectually great. Yeah. And it was also just, uh, Ton of fun. Yeah, I, I was about to curse, but then I thought, yeah, I don't know no, if I you can curse. curse this. No, you can curse on this. It yeah, was, so. oh, yeah. it, it was a shit ton of fun. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah, that's what I want to hear. A shit ton of fun. Um, so your timeline: Were you there when the greatest comic ever written, Doom's uh, Doom Patrol number seventy, was written? I, I, I think so. I, I, you, you mean the cod piece? Yeah, the cod yes, piece. Yes. The cod piece. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was I was I was kind of in the room where it happened cuz I was sharing an office uh with Tom Pyre and uh we were both smokers at the time and and either by accident or on purpose I, I think at that point they'd put us in a room that had been ventilated for like big old-fashioned computers and instead it was just Tom and me smoking too much. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> here you're gonna be back here with all the really hot computers we have to vent because you need to smoke <laughs> yeah i guess there was another room with a lot yeah. of really unhappy computers yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the computers started to smoke i yeah, don't know who knows that's that's amazing yeah um and all our listeners know that we've you know we always pitch cod piece left and right so to have somebody that was there at the at the origin is uh it's pretty momentous and epic for us. So, yeah, I think probably out of the over 250 episodes, I think this is probably our, our best and most important guest right now. So you yes. you get the the Oscars are going on right now, but that's our that's our Oscar award to use. So. <laughs> if if proximity to Tom Pyre and Rachel Pollock, yeah. uh, you know, makes me mo most valuable, I'll take it. 
There yeah. you go. <laughs> Although we we did talk to Tom last week. Hopefully he doesn't want to listen to the show. I don't think he does. He's he might be too cool for us. Um, all right, so let's talk guilt and Ahoy Comics. Uh, Chris and I have been huge fans of Ahoy and what they've been doing, the types of stories they've been putting out. Um, we find ourselves like moving away more from the big two of comics because we like stories that have a lot of heart uh, that are more uh, horrific than normal. Because I love horror comics. Um, and I know you said you do too. So where where does guilt come in in all of this? Is this kind of a lot of stuff that you would read is what you're putting into this book? Or how did that start? Yeah, it's – let me see if I can find a way. In, in Inside of every older, perhaps even middle-aged and older comic book reader, there is still, you know, your seven- or nine-year-old self. And yet – you know, you you have to find a way to sort of please that taste. But in order to do that, you have to do it in a way that still resonates with who you are now. And wow, that sounded like the weirdest and wordiest way to put that. So yes, I I, <laughs> I think that for both me and for Morissette, the, the artist, we have this great love of old House of Mystery, House of Secrets. I've also got here... I. I go to uh, Mega Brain, um, John Michelle's uh, Rhinebeck store, and and he has mm-hmm. great vintage. So I've got old. Ooh. Yeah, I love ex- the covers. I love the like ex- the dark green covers and the the earth yes. tones of the horror comics. Yeah, and I used to also love um, here's Midnight Tales. Oh yeah, Arachne and what is it? The Midnight Philosopher. Oh yeah. And everything I do when I'm given any free reign has shows that influence. When I did mm-hmm. Mystic You, there was this yep. big plop creature mm-hmm. um that was, you know, composed from the effluvia of all the, the, the students. Okay. And um and Plop was a short lived comic from DC that combined oh, humor yeah. and horror. It had Kane and Abel, a lot of Sergio Aragones oh, stuff. Okay. Some great Bernie Wrightson story about um I think in particular there was one about frog's legs that really was formative for me. Mm-hmm. So with with guilt, I wanted to write something that felt like it resonated with the themes and, and things that I was thinking about now. My my one sentence pitch of it was uh, the Golden Girls meet Sex in the City by way of the Twilight Zone. Sold. <laughs> Got me a Golden Girls. Yeah, yeah, and I love Twilight Zone too. So I mean, both of those. Well, yeah. So there was there was a lot about um, you know my mom still lives in the apartment uh, building on the Upper West Side where I grew up, and there are all these wonderful quirky old women who live in these apartment buildings, and they've got all these stories and all this stuff, and um, and I just was thinking about time travel and and about the characters of the Golden Girls. And at the same time, I wanted it infused with other 70s stuff that I love, a lot of it coming from that sort of philosophical, but slightly sort of, I would call it dark uplift that you get from the kids' horror comics of the 70s and from the Twilight Zone. Right. I I like, I haven't watched as much of uh, Black Mirror as perhaps I should have because I would keep watching and it was so dark and it didn't yeah. have as much of that gross out fun that mm-hmm. I, that I, I sort of relish. Yeah. 
I and I know what you I was just having a conversation the other day about the original Twilight Zone and how it did that like it had the philosophical um the like almost like the lesson at the end of it but like the episode the meek inherit the earth with the um the Santa Claus who's homeless but he like gets the magical sack that like gives out gifts to the kids it has that sense of fun there but it's like the it's like wow this is pretty sad and depressing and you know but there's some philosophy there too and it's um, that's one of the greatest things I loved about it. And like you said, Black Mirror is just kind of dark and <laughs> a lot of weird stuff happening a lot of the times. I don't, I think they miss that almost. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And I, now I have to say, so my father, uh, was the science fiction writer, Robert Sheckley, and my mm-hmm. mom and dad were in the whole science fiction world of Greenwich Village in the fifties. My mom, I do have to say, says that Rod Serling was notorious for stealing uh, the ideas of the writers who pitched to the show. So whenever people are like, yeah, and he wrote so many of the best episodes, Uh I think, not according to my mother. Okay. Well, (laughs) you have to listen to her, right? So I I believe her too. Um, Is it it safe to say that uh, Hildy Winters, the main character, right, is kind of a um, your mother cast in the book or... Oh, yeah. There's so yeah. much of my mother in Hildy. Hildy is kind of a combination of my mom and B. Arthur. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. <laughs> so so where does the time travel come into it? Is that something you've always wanted to play with, writing is time travel? Or? I, I love to play with things where you can deal with real themes in either a science fictional or or fantasy way, and everything feels emotionally grounded. Um, so I, and I was, I come at things from different directions. So because my mom stayed with me during the pandemic, I ended up watching the Golden Girls. In the 80s, I wasn't watching the Golden Girls. It was in the background. And I think because of the reboot of Sex and the City, more people have been talking about this. But Okay, so first of all, the Golden Girls were much younger than I had recalled. They were in their 50s and 60s in the show, Mm -hmm. not 70s and 80s. They were having a ton of sex and, you know, active fun. And and then when the series ends, spoiler alert, um, the main character, who's kind of the, the linchpin, goes and gets married, leaving her best friends and her mother. Which yeah. is beyond weird. Right. And I I had this epiphany. So first of all, the epiphany was nobody wants it comes to end by by ending. You know, nobody mm-hmm. wants MASH, even though it's nice, I guess, that Hawkeye gets to go home. We didn't right. want that. We want yeah. them to stay forever doing right. the things they're doing. We didn't want Cheers to end. But I thought in particular, there was something about leaving your friends for a marriage. And then I thought about Sex in the City. And even before the whole reboot and the brouhaha, I was thinking, you know, Mr. Big was just bad news, clearly bad news. The answer was not, oh, look, he's finally come around and you're going to marry him. You're like, right. no, that's yeah, right. got to be a mistake. Um, and so I thought about what if the character of uh, Hildy regrets this marriage? Mm. And now, okay, this is going to come at this from a very different side. The other, obs- I have these different obsessions and they all kind of coalesced. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me sound a little crazy, but I am. Uh, okay. so in, Perfect for the podcast. In New York, <laughs> there's, there's, there's two, uh, 
I think they're, they're websites and they've put out books. One's called Ephemeral New York and the other is called Forgotten New York. And they both deal with little known tidbits about architecture and, and, you know, things that happened in the city and what you can still recognize. And I started to dig around for an interesting uh, Upper West Side building because, you know, so much has been done with the Dakota and knockoffs of the Dakota where people were doing their riffs on Rosemary's Baby. So I knew I wanted a building like this old pre-war I'd grown up in where there would be a time portal when you went out the back door, the fire door. But I wanted to find a building that would sort of justify this that nobody knew about. And I found it and I got to visit it before the pandemic hit and everything closed down. It's called the Level Club and people should totally look this up. It was made by theosophists uh, according to the blueprint of King Solomon's temple. Wow. That is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. I And I, I have pictures up of it right now. Wow. And then it became like some kind of swanky, like swinging club in the 60s. Oh, yeah, there you go. Um, so I kind of began to imagine this as a cross between, you know, um, I, I called it the Bellicent. I don't even remember how I came up with the name. But I, I thought of it as a cross between the occult Dakota and, you know, um, Plato's Retreat and like th this building where incredible stuff happened, but nobody really knows about it. Yeah, you walk, you wouldn't know it walking into the building or seeing, you know, go, you go inside, you're like, oh, something's going on here, but you could never tell from the outside, right? Exactly. Yeah. Except there would be these little funny signs and gargoyles and things. Um, but yeah, I, right before the pandemic, I actually walked by the building and went inside and said to the doorman, I'm writing a comic and I'd like to use this building. Can I take pictures of the lobby? And he said, Sure. <laughs> and then this woman walked by with a stroller and I said, hey, I'm doing a comic about this building. And she said, do you want to look at my apartment? So I, I, wow. did. I didn't end up really using her apartment, but um, I just, it was, little did I know it was the end of this age of innocence before everyone would be wearing masks and frightened to even breathe in the same, you know, lobby as somebody else. Wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Be in the same yeah. room as someone. Um, so did, it's pretty amazing. Is there like some sort of like dark magic occult stuff going on in the background that causes the time travel or something? Or how does that kind of tie into this building and everything? Well, I, I just figured this building was made by occultists and theosophists, according to the blueprint of King Solomon's Temple, and that would lead to, you know, some time travel stuff going on. Okay. Uh, but of course, there are co-op rules. And, you know, what happens when you break them. So the Guild of, uh, you know, Independent Lady Temporalists, it has its rules. One, only the owner of the apartment can time travel. You can't go through with anyone else. And there are, there are other rules involved and some uh, sort of safeguards. So the way I have done the time travel for ease is when you go out the back door, you go 40 years into the past and you are then wherever your body was at 40 years in the past. So um, if you weren't there, we won't even talk about that. But so you, you, you have to wait for your opportunity. And then time passes at the same pace. But the longer you spend in the past, the more you become like the self you were. 
So if you want to go back to when you were nine years old and you're thinking, I'm going to do it differently because I have, you know, these better, um, I, I have more perspective. I can do it all differently. No more will people laugh at me because I ate a sardine sandwich. True story. Oh, okay. Um, you That's know, very specific, yeah. <laughs> mustard sardine sandwich. It's something I do blame my mother for, but we won't. Okay. So, but then you go into the past and the longer you spend in your nine-year-old body in the past, the more you become, uh, you know, who you were and, and affected by the way people thought of things then. You know, you think that you'll bring your, your, you know, the, 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 the present tense of the book is 2013 and it goes back to 1973. But, you, you know, you can't hold on to that for very long. Uh, except that Hildy goes back with Trista. So Hildy goes back with her new home healthcare aide, who is kind of of the Bill Murray school of employees where he, you know, she's doing the bare minimum and she's incredibly cynical. And she goes back in time with Hildy. And it turns out that they hadn't realized, but they had met each other on that day in 1973. And they're lives were entwined in ways they didn't know, but they've gone through the portal together. They've screwed up time. And that, um, that leads to all kinds of shenanigans. Sold. That's, <laughs> that's what I need. The shenanigans. I need to find out what the shenanigans are. Uh, and another, another thing about the book, the art is amazing. Um, I think, I mean, just some of the characters you can see on the covers for one through three that they've shown, um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I'll hold up. I'll hold up. Uh, yeah, that's, cover. A great, that's a great cover. This is Alain's cover. We also have a variant cover by Jill Thompson. So, and you can see just in the cover the whole House of Mystery um, influence. So, let me find, I'll try to find it. Oh, there's just so many great things here that Alain oh. has done. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those are great cats too. Okay, so I'll talk for a minute about Hildy's cats. Oh, yeah, that will help me do. talk about <laughs> Alans and my uh, process. So, um, we—I I just had someone ask me, you know, so is it that one of those things where you guys totally plot together, or is it like you go off and you write the script for him, and then he just does it? And and I said it's it's like both and neither because. I, we talk and then I'll go off and write with him very much in mind, but we're constantly having a dialogue about things. So I did a little throwaway with the cats and mm -hmm. he just began to include them as kind of straight men having all of these reactions. <laughs> and so when I went back to the lettering script, I began to tweak things oh. and then I began to and I, I began to think, okay, wait a minute, I have to figure out more about these cats. And it's like that with a lot of the stuff uh, that we do. I, you know, I'll, I, I think I don't, you know, sometimes your subconscious knows things are important. Like I started with the doorman at the building and I, as the story progressed, I realized, oh, this is a magical building and the doorman is not just a doorman. Right. And as I, Alan and I talk, you know, we will, we'll throw things back and forth with each other and we'll, you know, he'll show me stuff all the time. And so as he's drawing, it affects how I'm writing and, um, and we just, yeah, so it, it's, um, 
I don't know. It's really, it's, 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 I haven't had quite this experience before. And in part, it's because Alan and I have been trying to work together for seven years. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. So it finally happened. That's great. Yeah. Um, and then before, before we wrap up here, um, you, you're going through a Hoy for this. So can you talk a little bit about um, how did that come about, like working with Ahoy Comics? Well, you know, obviously I, I know Tom Pyre and Stuart Moore from, you know, when we were all working at Vertigo together and going to the Irish pub to drink. Uh, but I, I love the sensibility and I knew, you know, right from the start that what Tom was talking about was Vertigo in terms of the humor, in terms of the intelligence and not not delivering the expected thing in the expected way, mm-hmm. but really infused with humor. And I think people underestimate the difficulty of writing humor and the strength and the power of what humor can do, which is probably the least funny thing that a person could say. But I actually think about humor all the time and how, you know, how do you get what is funny because I also have all these theories that funny is the opposite of clever. Those little clever, you know, I was writing in in the chiclet craze of the 90s. And I knew that there were there were a lot of joke-shaped objects that were, you know, funny-esque. But in order to be truly funny, something has to really teeter on the edge of tragic or disgusting, you know, discomforting. And uh, I, I knew that Tom would allow me to do all of that stuff. Right. Yeah. So you've, you've kind of had the free reign to tell the story the way you want to. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. He, you know, I, I, he gave me such great advice. At one point, I was getting bogged down with time travel. And Tom just said, whenever you have a time travel question, go with what feels the most fun. And uh, it was... Yeah. Great advice. Yeah, I always, I've been a huge fan of like stand up comedy for most of my life. And I always, when you listen to comedians talk about it and they'll say like the difference between something that's like pretty much to put it bluntly, something that's offensive and then something that's funny is just crafting the words properly to make it funny or finding a way to subvert the offensive to bring it back to funny. Like there's just a fine line sometimes with those things so i understand completely what you mean by all that and it's a different medium being written as opposed to like a stand-up so it's even harder because you can't really test it on an audience (laughs) yeah oh can i i'll say something can i say something technical if this is yeah i I was when i listen to these things i love when people talk about the technical things so yeah Mm Uh, there was one scene where I had tweaked dialogue because I, I realized I had to acknowledge something that was in the art and it was too wordy. It was the one place where Tom, I think, had changed the wording a little. I said, oh, I'm not sure about this. And Tom said, oh, you caught, you know, because a few, I, I'm not one of those writers who can remember and it was, you know, written a couple of months prior. And I said, okay, let me let me look at this again. And I kept Tom's wording because I couldn't think of anything better than what he'd done. But I completely rearranged the balloons because I realized in order to get the joke, you need to just break it up so the pacing is different. Uh, and, you know, and it's, um, yeah, it's it's funny. I, I do love working collaboratively too. I think that, you know, I've done improv and I, I prefer it to stand up. I, you know, I just like, 
riffing and getting the feedback from other people and playing with them. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that that probably helps too with the collaboration process of the comics doing the improv, right? I I think it does. Although, you know, at this point saying, you know, saying that you've done improv is like saying you've been in a band. Everyone has. Saying you have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that too. Yeah, especially what about comics? No, uh, for sure. But um, Elisa, I'm so excited for this book. Uh, it comes out in a week, uh, April 6th. Go to your local comic shops. Um, yeah, thank you so much for being here. And uh, if we want, you know, our listeners, our watchers to follow you and what you're doing on your social media, where can we send them? Oh, I'm I'm on Twitter at uh, a Quitney. I think I'm I'm K dot witty on Instagram, but I, okay. I haven't been. I need to start Instagramming more. Um, and I've got a, a website, which is, you know, www.alisaquitney.com. And of course I have a podcast, which nice. is, uh, about the Sandman and that's endless, a Sandman podcast. Um, and, I'm going to uh, check that out. Thank you. That's... <laughs> yeah, I love when people plug their podcasts. I'm going to check it out for sure. Awesome. Is that, uh, the Sandman podcast, is that like behind the scenes stuff? Are you going through the book and reading it? Or what is that one about? Oh, yeah. So I, um, my friend and story expert, Lani Diane Rich and I are, I'm rereading Sandman. She's reading it for the first time. And we're talking about it in terms of, you know, her reaction to the story and, uh, and the art and uh, learning about comics and me, uh, you know, remembering whatever I can remember with my my dull and dimming memories. Yeah. Uh, and then when, when the Netflix series comes out, we're going to switch to that. Oh, very cool. Yeah, very that's cool. awesome. I'm checking that out. Yeah. So, so everybody out there, remember, I will have the links down below so you can follow Alyssa's uh, stuff even further. And thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, we always appreciate someone taking their time to come and talk to us. So, yeah. Thanks, Alisa. Alisa. Thank you. <laughs> I'll answer to anything. Just call me Quitney. And we're back. Back to the other side. Um, yeah, so check out Guilt, number one, coming to comic book shops in two weeks. Uh, like a week and a half, I guess. One week from when this release releases, actually. So yeah. be on the lookout. Ahoy Comics, local comic shops, pre-order now. Um, yeah, love and Ahoy comics, so you should too. Yeah, looking forward to this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love me some time travel, so. Yeah. Um, okay, so a little bit of comic book news, and we'll talk about what we read. Uh, DC Comics has announced a new Poison Ivy miniseries uh, coming from the writer G. Will Wilson and artist uh, Marcio Takara. The series will see Ivy leave Gotham to head out into the world and try to heal damaged humanity as dealt damage humanity has dealt to the planet. Um, so she's working for Greenpeace and uh, mm -hmm. and Habitat for Humanity and all these great different nonprofits, and she's going to help everybody. Honestly, like this makes the most sense, right? Because Ivy's character. So, like, okay, I wasn't too interested in the series until they talked about that because. Ivy's always sitting in Gotham like, eh, you guys are hurting the planet. Uh, I'm going to live in my vines. And it's like, you could, you literally have the green power. Like you could change things, you know, instead of just killing people that harm plants. So uh, this is pretty interesting. Um, 
I might check it out. My only question here is, are you gonna make? Are you gonna try to make me like make Ivy a hero? Like, is that what you're trying to do? Uh, yeah, that's and that's not a thing either. Like, she's still like, she's probably gonna be like, if she goes into like Monsanto and kills like the whole executive staff, like that's <laughs> that's more of like an Ivy thing, I would think. I feel like this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to, they want their B green comic, which whatever. Yeah. You could probably do it better with Swamp Thing, but Mm -hmm. you're going to do it with Ivy. And at the end of the day, like either you're going to make me care about Ivy and think that she's doing good, or she's an eco terrorist. And then your whole point for the whole book goes out the window because she's the bad guy. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yep. So, but G. Will Wilson, stuff I've read by her, I like. Mm-hmm. I don't seek her out, but I, I like, will she say did, she's the one that created Miss Marvel. So true. Yeah. But I will say I'm more excited for this book than a Catwoman book I have ever been for a Catwoman book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can go with that. Yeah, I just. I know what they're going for. I know it's not for me, but I just, yeah, we'll I wonder when they do that sometimes. Like I can see what you're trying to push, but I wonder if you pick the wrong character to do it with. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I mean, they handle Harley Quinn pretty well. I think at least Stephanie Phillips does as far as being a villain or a hero. So, um, yeah. Harley's been making that transition for a while. Yeah. They haven't like I still, gone full blown with it though. Cause like when's the last time Harley was like fighting the Batman? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. And I don't want to take Ivy off the table as a bat villain, personally. Yeah. Right. I mean she's not my favorite bat villain, but like you can do some cool stories with her. Mm-hmm. Yep. I Who agree. Knows? Guys have gone back and forth before. Yeah. Magneto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah is he a villain anymore who the hell knows um all right let's uh let's let's talk about yeah magneto turned was like the black adam of dc black adam's just a hero now um i guess you actually read my mind because my next comment was gonna be like he rules the nation now which yeah black adam does too which black adam does <laughs> i actually had a friend ask me that recently they're like so why are we getting a black adam movie isn't he a villain i was like i explained it I was like well he's an anti-hero but in this movie, he's going to be working with the Justice Society. So, is he? He's probably going to more likely be a hero. I don't know. We'll see. We got a Venom movie. He eats people. We're getting a Morbius movie. He's a I vampire. Oh, God, We're getting a Craven movie. Yeah. I, like, I just yeah. can't wait till I stop seeing ads for that Morbius movie because I do not want to see it. Oh, I'll let you all know what I think next week. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, I got invited right. to go see it. So. Oh, there you go. Comic notes. Let's let's uh, let's talk about what we read this week. Um, I know you read Task Force Z like I did, number six. Uh, Correct. <laughs> the best part. So this is uh, Matthew Rosenberg and Herbert on the art. Uh, <laughs> the the best part about this issue is the the title on the cover is the Bat and the Furious. <laughs> so the I, fast as soon as I read that, I'm like, Mike's loving this. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought that was pretty great. Um, uh, KG Beast still has the Red Hood tied up. Uh, there's a fight, and KG Beast loses, blows himself up. Um, we also get a look into the 
the background of when they were first developing the Lazarus pill and Mr. Bloom has kind of like, um, he kind of was the traitor at first and took some clones from the lab with him and kind of set everything in motion. We find out later that like he, he was the big bad because at first, like you look at Mr. Bloom, you're like, damn dude, like how did you get in this situation? Um, because when Scott Snyder wrote him, he was more of like a very arcus, uh, orchestrator of like, you know, all these great things. So, um, he also got kind of screwed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause the team who, uh, does it with them, they're like, aren't you happy we did it? And he's like, yeah, yeah. do I get anything out of it? And they're like, yeah, nah, <laughs> nah, you don't just like, just like corporate. <laughs> corporate pharmaceutical <laughs> oh you developed the drugs great we'll take the money and you guys get a pizza party um <laughs> pretty much yeah so i i think that was pretty interesting to kind of say yeah there's there's more to mr bloom than we thought um two-face takes kg beast's body uh because he's gonna do some weird zombie shit to him uh and red hood goes with them and batman shows up to stop him he's like dude you can't be hanging with these villains they're gonna do villain shit Red Hood's like, man, no, we're trying to we're trying to save the day right now. Um, and eventually gets Batman to back off. Uh, the overall plan was a senator was funding Two Face to organize this zombie team to get a meeting with Amanda Waller and be like, look, we did your Suicide Squad better than you did, pretty much to like get a seat with her there, um, <laughs> and. <laughs> One of the one one of the here one of the people they approach her with is Merman or some someone like that, and she says Mer, the Merman is something uh, Aquaman's mistress should have aborted. I wrote in the notes, "LOL, damn." <laughs> um, I, yeah, so like that's how you write Amanda Waller, <laughs> not pulling any punches. And just uh, to to throw the other side too, because we made the joke about corporate America. Yeah, there's also the fact that like. All the government people here are just doing shady shit all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, yeah. so nobody's a good guy. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, one Waller was the one who got them started, but uh, now she's she's gone missing. And the reveal at the end was like Mister Bloom was actually behind it all, like or like got the senator to get everybody to yeah. start this. So pretty interesting issue. I'm shocked that a senator could be bought off. Yeah, <laughs> bribed senator. What the? <laughs> uh, Deathstroke Incorporated number seven. This is uh, Williamson and Segovia in the art. Uh, Deathstroke's daughter Ravager brings Respawn with her to to get to Deathstroke and be like, "What the hell are you doing?" Respawn is actually he came from another book, I think. Um, he looks like Damian Wayne, but he has white hair, and his costume kind of looks like Deadpool. He came from the book Robin, starring Damian Wayne. Okay. <laughs> So he's a clone. Uh, he's actually a clone of Talia and Deathstroke that Raza Ghoul made. So it's kind of interesting. Um, he was taking body parts from his daughter to like fix. He was taking body parts from Ravager to like and like torturing because Ravager can heal. So he was like torturing Respawn and then like reattaching body parts to him. It's really fucked up. Uh, Respawn kicks out Ravager and and him and Deathstroke are pretty much like we're going to train together and work together and they head on to this other, they're going to, I don't know, rule the secret society and, and something is coming up called the shadow war. Um, 
and then the epilogue is that Luther and the Legion of the Doom. So Luther, Luther, the Legion of Doom calls up Luther, and there's a spot for Joker there, and it says on vacation. <laughs> um, I thought that was pretty funny. So they're concerned about Deathstroke and him starting the Secret Society because they th- they know how much of a killer he is, and he's very you know very good at what he does. Uh, and then they tease something called the Dark Crisis coming. So it's pretty interesting. Um, it's tying into a couple books. I like Deathstroke, so I'll keep reading it. Uh, Rogues oh, number oh, one. Williamson's yeah. got a lot going on, doesn't he? Oh, he does. Yeah. <laughs> Rogues number one, probably the best book ever. I, I don't know. There's it, it's a tie this week, but like to have Rogues, my bad, and Godzilla versus Power Rangers in one week, it's hard to pick a favorite. Um, Rogues number one, Williamson, Leo Max, and the art. Art is amazing. The colors are amazing. Um, they really, I don't know, the the like the purples, the light blues. It's I love that shit. Uh, this book was so good, and I know you were really excited for it. You were right, man. This is like this is the book. This is better than any flash book I've read lately. <laughs> don't tell that to our our um you know our flash friend. Um, oh, speaking of flash, I have flash facts, and I'll do them probably after this. Um, okay. Yeah, so where do we start? Retired Leonard Snart, Captain Cold. He's he's an old man now. He's well, I guess I don't know. They're probably going to put him in his like forties, early fifties. Uh, he's working a manufacturing job. He's seen as a joke. Um, this is ten years after he kind of like quits. Uh, he gets mad from being like teased all the time. He makes himself a new parka and goggles because <laughs> obviously <laughs> that's what you do. Um, and we find out that like Weather Wizard and uh, Boomerang are both dead. Uh, his sister, who's Golden Glider, if anybody knows that, uh, she wants nothing to do with him. She's like a social worker trying to actually help people. Um, and this issue, he's basically rounding up like he heard about a heist back in the day that like Gorilla Grodd on Gorilla Island is pretty much like a dragon, like Smaug, sitting on a pile of gold, pretty much. That's un like uncounted. It's just a pile of gold. And they think, why would we not just go rob him? Because none of it is accounted for. Seems pretty good. Um, so he pretty much recruits all the old rogues. He gets uh, Magenta, Bronze Tiger, Heat Wave, of course. I love that he, like, you know, everybody has all these other lives they're living now. And Heat Wave is pretty much just burning buildings down still. Uh, and required no, like, no yeah. explanation. No explanation. Just, yeah, man. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's like, I'm in. Um, they need to break Mirror Master out of, like, a mental hospital so they can... So they can, you know, get into the grill grod compound. And that's kind of interesting at the end. It gets kind of serious because like there's security to meet them. And uh, Leonard or Captain Cold freezes them. And then he like starts killing them and said, now the cops will actually be after us. Now you guys are committed to helping me. You can't turn back now. I thought that was a pretty cool moment. Yeah, I, I love this issue. It was exactly what I wanted it to be. Being kind of that, like, you know, last dance, you know, mm-hmm. last big heist. Uh, the characters are awesome. I, yeah. Everybody should check this book out. Uh, it's worth my, the six ninety nine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my bad. Uh, Mark Russell, um, Bryce Ingman, and Peter Krauss on the art. Fantastic art. I think it's a great finish to the first volume. Um, <laughs> we found out we get a glimpse of this awful Canadian hero named Legroom. And he's like, he can like stretch his legs and it's pretty hilarious. And like when Emperor King meets him, this is like a flashback. He's like, 
He's like, you're actually really short and you stretch your legs to make yourself not look short. <laughs> he gets like really pissed about it. Um, you should have called him man spreading. Man spreading. Great. <laughs> uh, Chandelier, uh, Chandelier outs himself and Emperor King. So like Chandelier like meets up with, he goes to the West coast and he gets these people that he thinks are heroes, but they're not, they're like actors in costumes. Uh, Cause he's in Hollywood and he, he stops like uh, Emperor King from like doing this big promotion. And what he's trying to do is promote this um, vehicle safety project with rush hour. And it's funny because like Rush Hour is on the sign and it's in the same font as Rush Hour, the movie. Um, But he outs himself because he thinks that Emperor King knew who he was. But the plan was that Emperor King knew that Chandelier had to be somebody rich. So he sent like stupid gifts to all of the all of the billionaires in the city. No, like thinking that one of them would finally come to him and be like, how did you know it was me? And Chandelier did that. So everybody knows who Chandelier is. you know, he, he outed himself. And so like, he goes back to like hiding, you know, nobody likes him or Chandelier. Um, and then it kind of ends with Chandelier going to Lionel Richie. If you remember me talking about him before he's, cause he's in jail now and saying like, I need your help. Well, he's not in jail. He's in a zoo. <laughs> but, um, so he's Chandelier is going to probably try to get back at him for like ruining his life. Uh, Godzilla versus mighty Morphin power Rangers. Number one. Cullen Bunn and Williams the second on the art. Uh, great first issue. If if I if you would have asked me, hey Mike, wh- what do you want to read in the first issue of Power Rangers versus Godzilla? I want Godzilla versus Dragonzord. That's what I got. I got the Green yeah. Ranger in another multiverse with the Dragonzord fighting Godzilla, getting his ass kicked by Godzilla because everybody knows Godzilla always wins. So never never lost, undefeated. Um, <laughs> and then the rest of the Power Rangers show up. That's a perfect first issue to me. I don't. You don't need to explain any more to me. I, that's it. Like, I didn't even realize this came out this week until yeah. you said something. Uh, uh, but yeah, don't reinvent the wheel. Just yeah, yeah. Just that's simple. It. That's all we need yeah. with a book like this. Colin Bunn gets it, man. This is like a really good horror writer. He's wrote, he's wrote some like head spinning shit. But like, you don't need that. This is Power Rangers versus Godzilla. This is and like I tweeted about. <laughs> this is taking action figures and smashing them together. That's all it is. Like, you know um okay saga number 57 my last book here uh brian k vaughn fiona staples there it is there's the book everybody uh we get a flashback that alana had her wings like cut off when they and this is this is definitely like a i feel like they put this in here after i don't know if this is the plan from the beginning <laughs> um but like they flash back they're like oh remember when we were at that wolf who was a doctor uh yeah she operated on my wings and now you can tell that i never had wings you can't tell um so when she shows him to the pirate that's like freaking out and like talking about murdering her family um there's no sign that she ever had wings so he calms down and they leave together to go on like a i don't know a deal to make you know sell some shit um they leave the kids alone and i can't remember the the guy she's working with the new guy with like the one arm Mm -hmm. um but like one of the kids that's on the on the ship says he looks familiar and like used to be this like awful vigilante guy that would like, you know, was really good at fighting, had a giant axe or something like that. Um, and he goes, no, I just, you know, just look familiar. And it kind of ends with him like standing there with a with like a, a, a machete or something in his hand. You're like, oh, yeah, this dude is definitely the that person. Um, so I, I can't wait to see that, like see him actually like let loose. 
and because uh, he's definitely hiding for something too. Um, and then the will brings. Uh, we know he has Marco's skull, and he brings it to the Robot King on behalf of like their whole enemy in the war, which there's something going on there. Um, I'm not entirely sure that it's Marco's skull still. I don't know. Like, uh, it seems to. I don't know. And even the description of like why he brought it there, nothing. It, it doesn't make sense to the Robot King, but he doesn't care because like his son is dead, and that's like, you know, the payback for it. So, um. I think overall interesting issue wasn't very preachy. wasn't, you know, very on the nose like the last couple of, um, so I thought it was all around. It's pretty good. Yeah. In that sense, it was the best issue. In other yeah. senses, it was like a lot of backdrop. Mm-hmm. Um, it just makes me laugh every time I see the King and he's like a giant flat screen TV. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> just something about it. that. Just, it's right. Um, I had Shang-Chi number 10 this week, but I did not get to read it yet. So, all right, so I had uh, Venom. Well, actually, let's start with this is from a few weeks back, but I want to talk about it. Captain Carter, number one. Okay. Um, this follows the kind of the Captain Carter we know from comics, not the one you met in What If. So she still got frozen, and then was thawed out, and blah 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 blah. Right. But we're meeting her as she uh, thaws out and goes back into society and the British government's trying to figure out, you know, what to do with her. And it seems like it's happening right around the boom of superheroes. So the British government sees her as their way to like have their own hero that they can have and manipulate. And it's a lot of back and forth with that pretty good issue altogether. Not really reinventing the wheel on anything, but Mm -hmm. fun. And uh, I always enjoy seeing Captain Carter. Electra, Black, White, and Blood, number three. Um, I bought this because this is the first book that David Posey's doing with Marvel. Nice. So he has a little story in here. Um, it's Electra versus Black Widow in the Red Room. Uh, pretty good, but you know it's an anthology book. I didn't expect like the greatest ever. It's just a fun, like probably six to eight page story. Cool. Uh, do. Venom Lethal Protector number one. This was them doing what Marvel's doing a lot of, which is let's set a book back when people loved it and tell a story with the original creator. Mm-hmm. So it's the guy who uh, wrote Venom, who created Venom alongside Topic Barlin. I forget his name now, but uh, and it's back in the 90s. So it's when Venom's at that point. Where he's no longer a villain, he's trying to be an anti-hero, basically. Mm-hmm. And this this villain shows up. I forget the name of the villain now, but it's like the shittiest villain. He can talk to like insects, but then you end up finding out that it's awesome. He actually is like super powerful and can actually use the abilities of the insects. Oh, and like so, he ends up defeating Venom in the first issue, and then everybody takes him really seriously. <laughs> It, it was it was a fun issue. I, I enjoyed Venom when he shows up. Ghost Cage number one. Mm. This was uh, do you remember the book East of West that Hickman did? Yeah, mm-hmm. and the artist Dragada. Mm-hmm. So this is his new book, at Image. Okay. Um, it's got really big manga vibes throughout oh, okay. it. Yeah, it feels like a Japanese manga. 
Okay. Uh, basically, this this town has uh, this giant corporation that has a huge building, and they control all of the the power in the town. Mm-hmm. And you end up finding out that it's like through all this weird mystical shit that's going on. So like, there's a hydro level, but there's like a, a creature that controls the water to make the hydroelectricity. You go mm-hmm. down another one. There's this, and it's just them going through the different places. I don't know. It was okay. But it, yeah. it felt like four volumes of a manga put into one issue, uh-huh. if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So I don't know if I'm going to keep reading or not. But. Okay. And then my last, I got a Kickstarter that came through, speaking of Colin Bunn, Beyond Mortal. Oh, one. nice. Yes. Did you end up doing this? I think I did. I just Maybe I didn't get my issue yet. I'll have to look. So... Just to simplify it, most of the characters are, it feels like the DC, it feels like something that he pitched for the DC universe. So all the characters are DC characters, essentially. Okay. And there's some mystical thing that happens with the character who's definitely not Dr. Fate. And he unleashes this creature that is going to just destroy the planet. And it's up to the justice, the not justice league to save them. Uh, I really enjoyed it. There's some little things about the issue, like some of the the lettering's fine, but then like when they do the the intros to some of the characters, like there's not Superman, and like the oh. way his that's written there is yeah. really tough to read. Yeah. Other than that, I really like the issue, and uh, yeah, it it just it ends with. Let me see, I read this like two weeks ago, so now I gotta go back and remind myself, everybody. Yeah, it ends with the the Doctor Fake guy kind of meeting up with the big villain, and them striking a a deal because mm. he knows that in the future that he actually wins and all the heroes die. Oh damn! And that's how it ends. But there's gonna be an issue two, and uh, in issue two we're getting split second. Oh. So we got a guy who runs real fast. Of course. The good issue, uh, it's like the size of an anthology book. Or not anthology, uh, like a 100-page book. Oh, cool. Awesome. It's a lot of comic for one, but... Nice. That's everything Thanks. I had this week, Mike. Um, I'm going to do the Pat's Flash Facts really quick. Um, okay, let's do it. I forgot at the beginning of the, the episode. Um, season 8, episode 8. This episode starts a new story arc for Barry and the gang. The team is investigating a burn victim and arrests uh, Jaco Birch, a.k.a. Hotness, for the murder. Uh, when Jaco is arrested, is in front of his son and claims he's innocent. Barry thinks he is innocent, although all the evidence is against him. Situation reminding Barry a lot about his dad's arrest. It also happens to be his dad's birthday. Barry is able to prove that Jaco's innocent is released. The episode ends with Barry and his family celebrating Henry... And also Team Flash trying to figure out who the real killer is. So a pretty straightforward Flash episode. If if it was to continue. Nobody went back in time. Nobody went back in time. Just a just a crime show right now. Just see it was a CSI episode. So speaking of CSI, Mike, where can people find you on the internet? Nice. You can find me at Fortress Ricker on Twitter. Where can they find you and or the show? Well, they can find me at Fortress Chris on Twitter and the show at Fortress Comics underscore on the Twitter. And also at FortressComicNews.com. 
remember everybody to check out the affiliate links down below to support us and uh also patreon.com slash fortress comics and if you want the free way to support us there's always uh the five-star review on our podcast you use so like subscribe share comment down below on the youtube and all that fun stuff we always really appreciate it thank you all for listening this week we'll see you all here next week